What's up, everybody? My name is Adam, and I'm the host of the You Know Adam Same podcast, the show that is dedicated on bringing on passionate people, learning about their stories, and delivering value to entrepreneurs. So if that's what you're interested in, go ahead and follow, like, and subscribe. You know what I'm saying? How's it going, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the You Know Adam Same podcast, where you get to know just a little bit more about people, passions, and all things business. Today on the show, we have David Bradley with Net One Talent. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. So let's talk about the business. Yeah. What, what is the business that you are in currently? So we are um, we are a SaaS a SaaS platform, a digital marketplace for talent. So I started. We started like a, like a, um, it's like headhunting, in a sense. There's there's staffing companies. Everybody's heard of staffing companies, okay. right? That that go out. You give us, you give me a job, and you give me a job description, and I go out and try to find talent for you, and send over you three or four people here. Here's the fill of the job, and you enter a room and you hire somebody, and I get a placement fee or percentage of the base salary, or if it's a contractor, we get an hourly rate percentage, whatever. Well, that system in staffing hasn't changed over fifty years, fifty five years. It's been the same. It's always been. So we came up with something completely different. It's never been launched before. It's new and innovative. So we created a SaaS-based platform, a digital marketplace, where it puts, like when a traditional staffing company, you would, you would, I'd be your recruiter, you would call me and go, hey, can you get me Adam's availability for an interview? What's Adam's rate? What's Adam's this? And I can call him and okay. get his availability. And the system does it all for you. It's a centralized platform. So what happens is clients, clients, um, we have clients like Papa John's Pizza, okay. True Green, Cars.com. I mean, it's IBM, you know, and it, the list goes on and on and on. So what happens is they post a job on our system, and then we have a marketplace. Uh, we do accounting and finance, technology, engineering, manufacturing, uh, human resources, corporate, all that kind of stuff. So let's just say it's a technical position. Um, if, a, if a company posts a, a tech role like a .NET developer, Every and we have about ten thousand people in our database. So, ten thousand, yeah, total, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that do different. That we don't specialize in any specific arena, right? Okay, we, healthcare, technology, all that kind of stuff. We're multiple verticals. What happens is, if a new tech role position posts a .NET role, everybody in the system that's in IT and tech and .NET gets a text message and an alert saying, "Hey, Adam just posted a .NET position," and they can apply to it immediately. Mm. So instead of having to go out and find and wait, you started getting applicants immediately into your dashboard. Sure. And then so in your dashboard, you can go, you can compare three people side by side. You can schedule interviews through the system and it automatically sends the calendar invites out for you. We do free criminal, national criminal background checks on everybody for free. Okay. I mean, it's a self-sufficient platform from interview to hire, to offer, to start dates. We're the employer record. We, we do full-time contract, independent contractor and permanent placements. So you've heard of Upwork? I have. So we are like Upwork, but better and different. And the reason I say that is because Upwork, we are an employee of record. Like we we have everybody that's hired through our database. So like let's say if you hire a contractor for six months and you don't need them and you cut them, they're still in our platform. They're still in your dashboard. If you want to hire them back later, you just click a button and hire them right back. Mm -hmm. But you also don't have like on Upwork, if you go post a job, firms from overseas and everywhere else are going to start just blasting you with messages. Sure. I, I got these people, I got these people. Ours goes straight to our database and we're strictly limited to the U.S. and Canada. 
and I say that, but the guy I just spoke to on the phone a little while ago, uh, we're partnering with a company in Salt Lake City, Utah, and Spain. So we're about to go international with a partnership that I've been setting up. Now. That's amazing. So yeah, it's 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 happening. So so what? Explain to me the difference between like a uh, like a job board, right? Like in terms yeah. of, um, I'm sure there's like plenty of. Um, Indeed, right? Yeah. Like where, like you can still post a job, and you there's can, people that can apply. Right, for and can it. apply. Yeah, but then you have to call them, and then you have to schedule them. And then you have to get, you. So, like in our system is the platform. We do the background checks all for you, all that kind of stuff. Our system um, eliminates the negotiation on rates too by yourself. So, like let's just say you want fifty an hour, and you put fifty an hour. The hiring manager has to check a box saying he's willing to pay you that. Gotcha. And you have to check a box saying you're willing to accept that. And then we have knockout questions and everything else you could put in there. So, gotcha. so if you don't line up, you can't even apply to the job. Mm-hmm. So, so we also have a QA team and a client success center and AI all monitoring stuff. So when you post a job, we it gets you, people that exactly match up to your job description get referred. Do 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 Like here's your top five for this job, and here's the top five who've done this before for us and and. And are amazing. Mm-hmm. Here's the top five who exact match for this job description. Here's their rates. Here's when they can start. Here's their availability. And all and you can and you can and all you got to do is click a box and say. And also, if they're contractors, they enter their time in the system. You can approve their timesheets. We keep track of all that. It's a one-stop shop, and there's nothing else like it. Like I, I have presented it to some. So my partner manages the business side. I do the sales side, and all day I, I usually do. I do demos for clients and sell in the sales side. So I do about 60 a week, wow. which is about 12 or 15 a day, almost every 30 minutes. Sometimes I have to cancel an interview, go to the bathroom. And get <laughs> but, um, but I've talked to the heads of talent like at Facebook and at Twitter and, and, um, and Meta and Instagram. And they're like, y'all are like 10 years ahead of everybody. Where did mm. y'all, you know, y'all come in from? Dude, it's been nuts. Like, yeah. I, you know, and that's when like I, I kind of bought more into it when I started with them. Um, you know, I was like, dude, everybody's eating this up. Yeah. You know, like nobody's ever seen anything like it. And then, and then, um, it just sets ourselves apart. We're just not a traditional staffing company. That's amazing. And what, what, how did you get into it? Like, what, what's the story? So, there? so I've been in staffing for 18 years now mm-hmm. and, um, I work for a lot of different companies and then I guess, Three or four years ago, I started. Um, I started on my own. Started mm-hmm. up a company on my own, and um, I had worked for a company for years. And every in, in every year, they would say, um, "Here's revenue generated by you. You made us three million. You made us four million dollars this year. You made us five million dollars this year." I'm like, "Great, give me a raise." Uh-huh. They're like, "We can't afford it. We can't afford it. We can't afford it." I'm like, "You just told me." Yeah. You know, and so. So I remember, I remember. Did you become dissatisfied because of that? They, they would not give you anything. No, they wouldn't. Like I, I, like I was, I was, I was bringing in work, people that I know, like I've been doing this for so long. Like literally some of my best friends are global CTOs. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have a global CTO who works for eight billion dollar company who buys my kids Jordans for their birthdays. I mean, like, and they're they're some of my best friends so i have i like i try to establish like you anybody any entrepreneur you establish relationships sure. 
and and you cater to those relationships because those are the people who will follow you everywhere you go no matter what you do correct and i knew when i got into this industry it was a relationship business so i call people constantly just to check in man how's the kids you know all that kind of stuff and i had a meeting with my team this morning my recruiters this morning like um not to get off topic real quick but they were like we got to guarantee in 60 days if the candidate leaves within 60 days we got to pay the feedback mm -hmm. and they go how do we avoid that i said you call him every week mm -hmm. set it a calendar reminder and you go how's everything going how's everything going and if there's a problem he's going to tell you before he's going to tell the client and then you can resolve that issue before he gets quits or leaves and then we got to pay that feedback it's constant contact yeah you, you've got the rapport with these people you know establish it you know keep it and that's yeah. like i do with these executives but what happened was um you know, I would ask for a raise or, 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 or something like that, you know, and it was just always a no. And so I sat back one day and I was like, these are my clients. I could do this. Mm. Why, am I, why, why am I giving them all this money when I can do it myself? Yeah. So I called my brother and I was like, I think I'm going to start my own business. I had no idea what I was doing, <laughs> you know? And so like, I was like, I have, I have zero capital. Yeah. You know, I was like, I, I said, so. I said, what do I do? <laughs> He's like, and so I filed for an LLC. Mm. I filed for my LLC, got my LLC, um, got a uh, got an American Express Platinum car with no limit on it, uh -huh. you know, and then and then I started calling my clients. You know, I, 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 um, I created an MSA. You know, I got a, a lawyer to draw up my contract agreement with all my rates and fees and all that stuff, got it approved, went to my lawyer, got all that set up, and then I started calling on my people that I knew mm -hmm. and started signing contracts. Yeah. And, and then the next thing I know, I had to hire a recruiter. And the next thing I know, I had to hire another recruiter. And the next thing I know, I had to hire another one. I wound up with 11 employees wow. in, in like a year, a year and a half. And I was killing it. And then um, and then COVID hit. Um, and so technology, I was mainly doing technology. So COVID hit, technology just kind of went yeah. flying out. But what was doing good was mortgage industry. And me, I happened to be at the pool one day, and I met this guy at the pool, and he owns a mortgage company. He's mm. like, that's hot as heck right now. People are buying houses right now. I said, you need help with staffing? He goes, dude, I'll hire as many loan originators as you can find me. So I said, okay. So mortgage is hot. So I signed him as a client, and I started calling other mortgage companies. Uh -huh. You know? Because even in bad times, somebody's making money somewhere, right? That's right. You know? And I was like, so I'll study the market, and I'll do research, and I'll read, and I'll find out. I've got all these tools I can use to find stuff. And I was like, okay, this company's making money. This company's hiring. Startups are hiring. So I started doing all this. And so it took off. And then it went back up again with the mortgage stuff. And then this company um, started. They, I got, I, I was telling somebody a while ago, I don't remember how, he's my, he lives in my neighbor. He lives in my neighbor. He lives in the neighborhood next to me who started the company. And I don't know how, I got, we connected, but somehow we connected and, um, through a mutual friend or something. And they, they told him that I was, it was actually a client. They said, I know this guy who does real well for us. He might can help you guys. They were a startup. Mm -hmm. So he, and they, they were in the same, the, the finding. Yeah. Like they were just creating things. this platform. Okay. I was doing general staffing. Uh -huh. They were creating this platform. Um, cause at the time talent acquisition was hot. So they were just, they were just, it was a platform designed just for people in the talent acquisition uh, in the world. So yeah. they're hiring recruiters. And like all these recruiters are picking up side hustles on the platform, like 10 hours a week, 20 hours yeah. a week, making contract hourly yeah. work. 
And so they called me and they were like, listen, the CEO of the company who I partner with now is, he's an engineer. He's, you know, he's the technical guy behind it, you know? And um, he was like, can you help us from the, understand the recruiters, how recruiters think, how that side of the business works and all this stuff. So I went through the, so we worked out a contract. I worked through them and started uh, going through the platform finding red flags, finding system failures. Yeah. You're missing this. this There's all, all sorts of problems yeah. with it. So we, we diagnosed all those, got all those fixed. And then they called me back and they were like, um, hey, can you, we got a lot of clients signing up now. Can you help us staff clients? Because at the time, they're still building up their database of talent. So it, it had a function as a traditional staffing company at that time. We started to go out and find people, mm -hmm. right? Because our database wasn't full yet or getting full. So I said, yes, yeah. so I started I started finding people for them, started hiring for their clients. And then they called me and go, hey, can you um, can you just like help us do sales now? Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, we're getting in deeper. <laughs> you know, so. Um, Why'd you take that leap of faith? Was that was that something that you had once interested I saw in? The, once I saw the product, uh -huh. I knew it was different. I knew it was something special. Yeah. You know, I've been doing this for so long. I was like, I know there's nothing like this, you know? And I could see, I could see um, people eating it up. Mm. And then I said, "Well, let me." I said, "Let me, let me show some of my friends who are C-level executives, CTOs, uh -huh. who would use this in yeah. their perspective." So I was scheduled demos with them, and I would show them. They're like, "Dude, this thing is cool as crap." Yeah. And I was like, "Okay." And I said, "Well," and every time I talk to somebody, you don't just say, "Okay, great." I say, "What would you do different? Yeah. What would you like to see? So it'd been how refined. would you innovate yep. it?" Is there what what would a, from your perspective? Because we're catering to you, so what would you like to see it do? Well, I'd like to see it do this, and then so on the next call, I'd present it to another CTO and go, "What do you like to see it do?" Yeah. He's, like, "I love this. I'd love it to do this." So we started implementing all that, and I was like, "Okay, now we're on a roll with something." Yeah. So then, um, um, so then you know, long story short is, um, they uh, wound up letting go of the other co-founder. The CEO let go of the other co-founder and. Brought you on. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, I was doing, you know, I was bringing on clients and doing 65 demos a week and, 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 um, the rest is history. Yeah. I wanted to ask, uh, in this industry that you're in, mm -hmm. um, what is, how do you place people? Right? Like, I, I think, and, and I'm not as familiar with recruiting. Yeah. Um, the process from what I understand is, you know, you understand the needs of a company and then you go out and try to find somebody that mm. fits that. Right. That, that's a good fit. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think it's it's interesting what you said earlier, which is a lot of it's relationship based of like, right. you know, you, you're building that relationship. Right. Uh, but also, you know, I feel like to a certain extent, you're putting your re reputation on the line because as you are bringing people on, yeah. you're you're basically seeing if it's a good fit and if they're going to excel for the company right because right. if you go and send in like a bunch of duds the next time like are, are they going to trust you no and that's that's the thing like like the i was i've always been cautious about it like um who i brought on and and, and he'll tell you this you know like i brought on um my cousin's company and um and some other companies and and i explained to him these are my babies. Mm -hmm. These clients have been with me for four or five years. I know exactly how they work. I know exactly how they think. Like I, I, I get to know people so well that I could call them and say, "I found a candidate. He's great. 
they're like, we don't even need to interview him. You he's, just go ahead and bring him in. Yeah, just go ahead and bring him in. And um, and that's how and that's how we've done it. So like like I am very specific on how I want the submittal process to flow and how we find talent, talent, and you know. I guess it's like I've been doing it for so long. It's second nature to me. Like when I when other recruiters that on there, like I'll say, "What did what questions did you ask?" And I say, "This, this," and I'm like, "Why didn't you say this?" Yeah. Like, because like I feel like everybody you know, everybody you speak to, should know three or four of the people who do that same job. Sure. Or you can give you three or four of the leads. Right? Yeah. If you, I said, I had this conversation this morning with a team. I said, you can get any information out of anybody if you ask it the right way. Mm. Right. You know what I'm saying? If you ask it the right way and ask it at the right time, people tell you anything they want to know. Sure. Prime example, and I said this this morning, there was a there was a um, a candidate that um, she was she was interviewing with a client of ours who is a gaming company. They mm-hmm. own all they own eighty percent of the slot machines in Las Vegas. Okay. She lives in Las Vegas. Uh huh. She interviewed with a company went through four interviews, and then they made her an offer, and then she changed, she called me and she was like, I can't accept it. And I said, why? Like, you're in Vegas, you done four interviews. She was like, it's against my religion to gamble. And I was like, you live in Las Vegas. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then I was like, you know, and you you interview with a gaming company, you know who makes slot yeah. machines four times. <laughs> and so I was like, this could have been brought to my attention like when I first Earlier, spoke to yeah. you. But, but the client, I told the client, they were like, man, just chew her out. You know, that's wrong. That's just this, that, and the other. You know, she did us wrong. Instead, I called her and I said, hey, I'm said, you know, completely understand. If she gets your religion, she gets your religion. I said, no harm, no foul. I appreciate the opportunity. It was good getting to know you. Best of luck on your search. I said, by the way, do you know anybody else that, that could fill this role well, that's in your field? She sent me 19 referrals well, the next day. So why would I call her and cuss her out? Instead, I asked her if she knew anybody. She sent me 19 people. We wanted to fill in the job anyway. We wanted her referrals. So it goes to show you, you just treat people even, right. Even if it's a no, there's a yes in there somewhere. Yeah. If you present it the right way, you come across – If you, and when the bottom line, if you treat people right, man, just treat people right. Mm. With courtesy and respect, they'll help you out in any way they can. That's so powerful. I mean, it's like it's like with these, with these recruiters this morning, you know, I was telling them, like, we have some low-level positions, some technical roles, and – um and these technicians who work on like HVAC machines and refrigeration machines. And, um, and they were like, these people are hard to find. I was like, well, how, when you, you just sent me a candidate. I said, what company did he come from? Obviously he's looking to leave. So that means probably other employees at that company are looking to leave. Did you ask him mm. if you weren't on a team and how many people you work with? Does he have any friends? Cause in this industry, they probably hang out with the same type of people. I say, call him back. And ask for referrals. And I said, if you don't, and they, he was like, he's already accepted a job. I said, it doesn't matter. Call him back and congratulate him on his new job mm-hmm. and tell him that's awesome. I'm glad it works out. Best of luck. By the way, do you know anybody? I said, but the best time to get referrals is when you first get them on the phone. Like when you go through the job, say, hey, Adam, I see you work at Georgia Southern. You know, how big is your team there? Mm-hmm. There's 10 people. They do the same thing you do? Yeah. Who's your hiring manager? It was so-and-so. They hire contractors or they do her full time. They're full time and contractors. So now I know who the hiring manager is. I said, Did you get I'll ask him, did you get that job through a vendor or did I hired you directly? Through a vendor. So now I know who the hiring manager is. Now I know they work with vendors. Now I know ten of the people who do the same job he does. 
And I said, and they told it to me just by asking. Mm. The first step in receiving is asking, right? Yeah. You know? With, with, with this, I think that there's a few questions that I have. Yeah. And why should a company, right? So, you know, um, we do restaurants, uh, right. you know, do media production, all these various different entrepreneurial things. Why should a company be looking to work with a company like yours to place people as opposed to going out and searching for the talent themselves? So two reasons. If you go out and find talent yourself, the software you have to use to find talent is outrageously expensive. Mm -hmm. Like just LinkedIn recruiter mm -hmm. is like $35,000 a year, right? And if you need one or two employees, Doesn't they're going to make you sign a contract. There's no sense in investing thirty-five grand to find two people maybe once a year or yep. whatever to say, you know? And then there's other search engines that out there. They all cost you, they cost you a monthly fee. So us, since we're on a larger scale, they usually provide it to us for a discount. We get it cheaper. We have all the tools necessary to find somebody. And then we run market rates. So we see what other companies are hiring, and then we undercut those rates. Mm -hmm. Like industry standard on a permanent placement is like a 20% fee is industry standard. So if you make 100 grand, the staffing company gets 20,000 when they place you. Mm -hmm. We do 15%. Mm. Our hourly rates and our margins, our bill rate to our pay rate margins are minimal. They're, mm -hmm. they're smaller. And so when people hear that, they're like, you know, especially if they're going to save money, they don't have, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a self-service platform where they are in direct contact with the candidate through the, the only thing that should slow them down hiring through us is the interview process. The interview process takes a long time. That's going to slow them down, but they can log on our site. They, the rates are locked in. They can see what the candidate's charging and know what their bill rate is or pay rate is or what their salary is. Mm -hmm. They can schedule an interview. It automatically sends the invites out to both parties. They can schedule a second interview. It automatically sends the calendar invite out to both parties. They can send the offer letter out through the system. Offer letter goes out. Your DocuSign paperwork gets sent to you. The offer to MSA and contract gets sent to the client. And then we keep track of everybody you've ever hired in case you ever want to rehire them back. We're the employee record on all that kind of stuff. Tax documents, timekeeping, hourly sheets. Everything. Everything. Everything is done through the whole system. From AI, from ChatGPT to help you create job templates and job descriptions to Zoom calls to um, now we're, we're about to get launch a direct source site where you can use it as your own product mm -hmm. and then you can put your own logo and symbol on it. Wow. So that makes it like even easier to mm -hmm. kind of like Plus, offer. we don't charge subscription fees. Nice. You don't, it doesn't Is cost. it placement fees then? Yeah, we charge placement fees. Uh -huh. But like for you as a client, um, you can post a job, you can screen candidates, and you can interview for free. Mm. The only, and, and from a client perspective, when they post their resume online, it doesn't cost them any money. They can post a resume online. They get alerts every time a new job posts. They can apply directly from their text message or email, and they get alerts. You're scheduled for interview, hire everything from their phone. And you, you said you've been in this industry for how long? Uh, 18, 18 years. 18 yeah. years. Uh, one of the questions I have is, you know, I, I've seen maybe personally, I've seen some kind of changes within the industry in terms of like labor force, mm -hmm. uh, maybe willingness uh, and, and um, loyalty uh, to, yeah. to a company. Uh, since you are like literally like staring like very much so kind of like in the middle midst of it all. Have you seen any changes with kind of like um, company culture and kind of like the labor force? Like, yeah. Are you seeing anything on that end? Yeah, culture's changing. You know, now there's a lot more diversity, inclusion, diversity, mm -hmm. inclusion incorporated. Now, um, since COVID's kind of dissipated and, and everybody is going back to more of a, instead of remote, they're going back to hybrid. Yeah. Um, 
but in an hourly rate, you know, um, it depends on the job, I guess. Like in technology, the rates are pretty high. They get paid pretty well. Mm-hmm. But when you get lower level jobs, if it's a $15 or $20 an hour employee and they get $20.25 down the road, mm-hmm. guess where they're going to go? They're going to mm-hmm. leave and go make a quarter more somewhere. Yeah. Um, but um, it's changing and it always will, you know, but you adapt and you roll with it and you cater to the market. Yeah. And what do you look for? Like, you know, I, I'm sure as a as a recruiter, you have to actually do some of the previously before this platform existed. You had to do some of the, I guess, like the interviewing process. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. What, how do you what are the things that you're looking for? Like, obviously, like you. You're I'm looking. Extreme, yeah, ahead. I'm looking for um, tenure. Yeah. It's, it's hard. Like so like some companies reached out to us the other day and their technician roles. They're twenty bucks an hour, thirty five bucks an hour, mm-hmm. and and so, and they're and they're HVAC technicians. Sure. So they're not resume writers. Mm-hmm. They work on machines all day. They don't have time to go out and create a nice resume like people in IT do. So and then COVID hit, and then they're the same type of employee that like if they get a dollar raise down the street, guess where they're going to go? They're going to make an go. extra dollar. Yeah. So sometimes they'll say, "Well, we want people with five years experience at one company," and I'm like, you know. COVID happens in the past. <laughs> Slim years. pickings. Right. Yeah, it, it does. It, it, it's, it lowers your candidate pool. Yeah. They still exist and they're out there, but it does limit your candidate pool because COVID existed. People were laid off and cut back for jobs and you went and found something else. But um, but they're there. You just got to look and find them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's 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 gotten diverse and it's it can be tough sometimes. Um, but that's why, like, to me, to me, I get, I get my, I can interview one person. I can talk to Adam and I can interview you. And by the end of that conversation, I've got six or seven people who do the same thing you do from you in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Cause I'll go to every job you've worked at and I see you work on a team. Mm-hmm. Who's three people that you work that love, you work, you'd love to work again. Oh, that's Brad, David, and Jim. Okay, Gary, Brad, David, and Jim. And went to the next job. Who's three people you work there that you'd love to work again. Oh, that's John, Peter, and Paul. Yeah. Okay, bam, bam, bam. I got six more. You know, and then at the end of the call, listen, this client usually asks for references. Can you give me three peers and two ref- two managers you've worked sure. for? So I got three more people, and I got two managers I can call that can come, become potential clients. Mm-hmm. How strong do you think your network is? Oh, man. Talk, I mean, talk to me about I that. mean, in my LinkedIn, I've got 30,000 connections on LinkedIn. Wow. I'm, I'm maxed out. But, I mean, it's – um, 30,000. Yeah, I've been doing it for a while. <laughs> um and, you know, and that's why, like, that's why I'm able to do, that's why I'm in the position I'm in today. Mm-hmm. And it's because of the relationships that I got, and they know that. And it's also because that's how I'm able to get 60 or 65 people a, a week on the phone. Mm-hmm. I can just go message them on LinkedIn and say, hey, you got five minutes, you got 20 minutes, you got 20 minutes. Yeah, of course, they, of course, they have anything for you. You know you, what I'm saying? How do you remember every single one? I, we use a system called HubSpot. Yeah. I put them in there. Or I can just, I'll just run them. Man, there's so many different yeah. Chrome extensions and everything <laughs> else out there, man. Like, I've got a buddy of mine who's written a book on uh, on technical recruiting. Yeah. I had lunch with him Wednesday. And like, his mind is just, you need to go check out this, 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 this. I was like, hey, I've never even heard of it. You know? <laughs> 
And he's like, they just came out. They're awesome. They're, 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 how much did they cost? I did a demo last week. Like anything that comes out, he's on the latest and greatest of everything. Mm. And every third product that comes out, he'll go sign up for a demo. Yeah. He'll go do a demo, a free yeah. demo. You can always get a free demo out of it. That's right. And then he'll tell me all about it. He'll go check this out. Go check this out. Go download this Chrome extension. It does this, this, and this, and this, you know. And then since I'm not in recruiting anymore, I'm on the sales side sure. of it and been in managing the business side of it too. I relay that over to the team. Um and then we, if it's worth investing in, we invest in it. And if it's not, it's not. But, yeah. but um, what, what's the what's the platform called? Net One Talent. Net One Talent. And how do how do people uh, seek this platform out? You can find it on LinkedIn. We do a lot of marketing. We've got a marketing firm who puts us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and stuff. And then, and um, and it gets marketed out a lot. And then um. And who should be looking on this platform? So you said technical. Any, yeah. Anybody in, in IT, engineering, um, uh, corporate and HR, operations, human resources, basically anybody, you know, like even, even HVAC technicians. Yeah. We are, all our clients are so diverse. Like we have, we have healthcare companies, we have hospitals. Mm -hmm. So healthcare recruiters or, or um, anybody in talent acquisition mainly. And then that's what the cater the platform was originally designed for was talent acquisition professionals. But um, due to the times and the economy and, and things like that, you know, uh, you know, we've had to go different routes. Yeah. We've expanded into accounting and finance, technology, manufacturing, engineering, operations and human resources and so on and so forth. Yeah. And because it gives us, more opportunities mm -hmm. and we've gotten more you know we we've got you know they're, they're coming in non-stop we have about ten thousand people on the platform today mm -hmm. and an average of about 60 or 65 a week signing up from wow. a, from a candidate perspective uh -huh. and then clients you know i try to bring in i'm just it's funny man like i just i'm built different mm. and my mind doesn't work like most people i tell everybody like i don't think like most people man i don't yeah. think i'm crazy but like <laughs> you know what i'm saying like i just think outside the box i'm constantly thinking outside the box and who do i know and who can that person introduce me to and who can that person introduce me to and if i can call this one guy like before i call him i'll go research everybody he's connected to on linkedin and if they've exchanged messages and all this stuff and go hey i noticed you're so and so and so and so connected can you introduce me to him? yeah man sure i'll do it right now via email mm -hmm. you know my session how my mind works and it just i'm constantly like working networks and you know was that something that uh you were born with or was that something that came over time i think it was i was probably born with it but i you know we farmed growing up and you know and then in college i had a one-track mind we all know where that mind leads you know <laughs> so i wasn't thinking about anything and then um but um when I got into the business world, man, like, you know, I knew it was, I just, you know, who do I know and how my brother has been the biggest, um, motivating factor behind me and the biggest, like, I look up to him more than anybody else. Like I, I, I call him at like 12 o'clock at night going, what do I do? <laughs> you know, like, what should I do? And he's like, and then I'll talk through it and he goes, you already knew the answer. I said, I know I just needed to hear you say it. And that's how much I rely. I told him a little while ago when I, I literally said this, when I was leaving, I stopped by his office. I said, you got to quit drinking Diet Coke. And he was like, I've been drinking for 25 years. I said, I know it's going to kill you. And I said, if you die, it's going to be like losing one of my kids. I said, who am I going to call at 12 o'clock at night and ask for business advice? <laughs> And I said, I got nobody else to go to. So I get off the Diet Cokes, man. Yeah, yeah. And the fried chicken. Yeah. 
Um, but no, man, like him, uh, I go to him for everything. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for him and then my wife and my, my kids. Mm. So, you know, I think as entrepreneurs, we're like always pushing, right? Like it's always like, like, you know, pedal to the, to the floorboard. Let's like, just go as quickly as we can. Is it better to, you know, have laser like focus on and focus on like a single thing? My or, interpretation yeah. is you have to have a goal or a target. Mm. If you don't have a target, you'll never hit anything, right? Yeah. And I think that I think there's three principles that make determine if you're gonna be successful or not. Uh-huh. One is you have to believe in yourself that yep. you can achieve it and you can do it. The other is do the effing work. Just do the work. Sure. And the last and most important is discipline. If you're sure. not self-disciplined, it'll never happen. Sure. You know, that's the difference between a, a disciplined person. It's the Mike Tyson saying, you, you're a disciplined person is doing the things you hate to do, but doing them like you love them. Yep. And that's what makes it, makes you successful. Yeah. Like getting up out of bed at five o'clock in the morning and going to do, like that's me is like, you know, my morning routine is I get up in the morning between around 5.30 or 6. And then every single day, every, every single, single day, day. regardless of like this morning, weekend, this morning, like whatever yeah. it is, try to stick on a routine. I try to go to bed at the same time, try to, and my diet, eat at the same time. Everything is set up is, is on time. Right? Okay. And then sometimes it doesn't all work out. It just depends. But, um, <clears throat> I try to get up at the same time. The very first thing I do is put Celtic salt on my tongue, drink six ounces of water. Celtic salt, and I'll tell you why I'm saying all this, is because after I, when I died twice, I went down a rabbit hole of health and vitamins and minerals and, and longevity, and I studied all this stuff and I researched it. It drives my wife crazy because I'm full of, <laughs> like I'll go, don't eat that, that's got this, this, and this in it. And, so, and I went through the whole house and threw out like everything. I bet she was happy with that. Yeah, and so, um, so like Celtic salt has 87 minerals in it. It's the most healthiest salt you can eat. Okay. It's hand harvested. And a pinch of Celtic salt on your tongue with six ounces of water is the fastest way to hydrate your body. Cause wow. Because the, the Celtic salt sends the water straight to your red blood cells. Okay. So I do that. And then I do a tablespoon of olive oil, lime, lemon juice, and cayenne pepper. That completely detoxes your liver. The cayenne pepper incre- increases your blood flow. It's like taking an aspirin every morning. Because when I was in the hospital, I had blood clots. So they put me on an aspirin regimen. But aspirin can cause stomach bleeds and brain bleeds. Cayenne pepper does the same exact thing as aspirin without causing the symptoms. Okay. So I do that, and then I take an ice bath for six minutes. Ice bath. I've How been, long have you been doing that for? I've been doing that for two and a half months. I've lost 17 pounds of fat around my waist. That is from, wild. Uh, Just by doing that? Yeah. Do you, I, but I, you still work out, right? Like you, I you work still, out about three or four days a week. Okay. And then... Um, the ice bath, uh, and my diet had a lot to do with it. But my ice baths mainly, um, I lost about 17 pounds in probably a month and a half to two months. I went from a 34 to a 30 in the waist. That's wild. Um, because ice baths, when your body goes into light, into shock. Sure. And it releases a shock, a cold shock protein. Yeah. And then what happens is, um, it squeezes your brown lit, your liver, uh-huh. which is trying to save your life because you're freezing. But uh-huh. when it squeezes your liver, your liver secretes brown fat. And brown fat is what spikes your metabolism. And it, so it burns fat 
around your waist. Yeah. But it also spikes your dopamine, your adrenaline. Sure. Levels in your brain. There's been a, a lot of uh, content that's been pushed out recently about this mm -hmm. specific topic. Uh, I, I I listened to one from Huberman. I don't know if you're familiar Andrew Huberman. With, yeah. yeah. So he was talking a lot about it. Is there a specific brand of what like, I, ice bath that you I don't use, use an ice bath? It, I what I do is I just I've got a jacuzzi tub at home. Okay. I dump in two 20-pound bags of ice uh -huh. every morning. Okay. Which costs me about $150 a month. Just okay. for ice. So I got okay. to invest in an ice machine. <laughs> um, I haven't bought the, the ice bath yet, um, but that's what I've been doing. And I do it for three to six. They say three minutes is good. I do it for six. But it's got me to a point where, like, like it's a, it's the first thing I want to do every morning. Yeah. Like I'm excited about it. I yeah. get up and go turn the cold cold water on as fast as I can, dump ice in it, and I want to get in it as fast as I can. And I'll stay I'll stay in it mm. because I know how good I'm gonna feel. Like when I get out, I'm clapping my hands and like, let's go because I'm on that rush from dopamine, and it lasts all day. It does. Yeah, that's wild. Because the more you do it, the higher your baseline. And gets. and how how so you you said you started this regimen about two and a half months two and a half ago. months ago. And and was there what compelled you to start? Andrew Huberman, yeah, <laughs> and Joe Rogan, yeah, you know, because well, in the the health aspects, because so again, I went down to the rabbit hole, and um, and I said, you know what, like if if it's, I'm one of these people that it like if it if it's gonna help me, because let me back up a second, um, you know, when I got out of the hospital, when I I died at home, and my heart stopped, and my wife found me with no vitals, no breath, no heartbeat. The next day at the hospital, um, my, I suffocated to death. My respiratory system completely shut down. They had to revive me at the hospital. And then I woke up two days later in ICU. Um, when, I, when they revived me, I was awake. And the doctor looked at me, surrounded by nurses, and told me flat out, he goes, he said, do you have a family? I said, yes, I got a wife, two kids, and a dog. This and is I when could, you woke up. Yeah, and that's when they revived me the second time at the hospital. But I was laying on my side, breathing in a mask, and I said, why are you asking me that? And he said, um, you're extremely sick. I said, no kidding. I mean, I'm in, I know I've, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in the hospital for a reason. Sure. I don't need you to tell me I'm sick. <laughs> uh, I hope that you're not getting paid that much to go around and tell people you're sick because you're in the hospital, right? And I said, I said, I said, no S, no S-H-I-T. Uh -huh. And he goes, and he said, he said, no, you're extremely sick. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'm telling you that we're going to allow you to call your family and tell them goodbye. He said, we don't expect you to live through the night. And he said, there's no way you're going to make it. And he said, so we're going to let you call your wife, call your kids. And then um, he said, can you, can we get a copy of your living will? And I said, sure. Let me just run, go get it real quick. Yeah. And then when he told me that I said, and he said, I argued back a little bit. And then he said, let me check you out. And he checked me out. And I said, I said, I don't want to ever see you again. Because my my interpretation or thought was he could have come in and said, we're going to do everything we can to help you and save you. Yeah. Don't, you know, we, we're, we're going to do everything we can. You know, he came flat out and said, you're going to die tonight. Sure. And you're going to and you need to call your wife and kids and tell them goodbye. Yeah. And. Your response to that was yeah, that, I was response. I said I don't want to ever see you again. Yeah, and I know I didn't. What see What did he him. say? He didn't come back. And no, he didn't come back. And but I was hiccuping like crazy, and I could barely talk. And I finally asked the nurse. I said, "Why am I hiccuping so much?" And he said, "Your respiratory system is overreacting. It doesn't know how to handle the virus." He said that we just revived you because you suffocated to death because your respiratory system shut down. And I'm I'm hard headed, 
in a sense. I want to know how things work. Sure. You know, and like, and so I'm plugged in all these machines. I was like, what is this? And what is this? And what is this? And why are you doing this? And they're like, we're going to give you a shot to make you quit hiccuping, which was actually a shot to knock me out. They wanted me to shut me up. But sure. They told me it's going to stop my hiccup. <laughs> you know, so they gave me that shot. And the next thing I know, I woke up two days later uh, in ICU. I'd found out that they had let my wife, they called her and told her that I wasn't coming home. And they had let her come label me for like five hours. This was in the COVID ward, so they weren't supposed to be up there. Yeah. So they let her label me for five hours and tell me goodbye. Mm-hmm. And they had called her two days in a row before I woke up and told her to, you know, to, to be prepared that I wasn't coming home. Mm-hmm. Um, long story short, 10 days later, when they wheeled me out in, um, in a wheelchair, um, my respiratory doctor, she got down on her knees in front of me and she said, she said, I'm just going to be honest with you. She said, there's nothing short of a miracle that you're alive today. She said, we have never had anybody come in here that was as sick as you were that lived. She said, you're, you're, it's a, nothing but short of a miracle. She said, it's all because of, she said, two things saved your life, God and the shape you were in physically. What, what type of shape were you in at that, that time? That time I was like, that time, because I used to do men's bodybuilding and all that kind of stuff. Okay. I weighed 245, and okay. I was bench pressing like 455, and wow. military pressing 285. I thought I was invincible. Yeah. You know? And I'd had COVID four months before that and didn't even know it. So I thought this was going to be a walk in the park. Now, since then, you know, I've, I, I'm have i down to 182 now, mm. but um, I don't push myself bad. I've got three herniated discs in my back, and I'm still having breathing issues. Um, the third, I got COVID again. And that the third time, the third time, okay, which created lung nodules in my lungs because I had so much scar tissue from the time I was sick that did mm. so much because my, my heart, my heart was enlarged, the walls of the heart had thickened up, my lung had had severe scarring, which the scars developed in the lung nodules, which makes it hard to breathe, mm. and so it's just did a number on me. So every year, every six months, a year, I have to go to my heart scan, and my lungs check, all this stuff to make sure that it's functioning properly. So that's when I said, you know what, now, when somebody tells you you're going to die, you start putting a lot of things in perspective, like, you know, what's important in your life. And when I got home, I just, like, I just, I sat on my bed. My wife and my mother-in-law had to help me upstairs. I was on oxygen tank for therapy for two months in bed, and I sat on the bed you know, and my dog heard me, and he came running and jumped on my lap, man, and I just lost it. And then my kids came running and jumped on me, and I was like, you know what? Nothing else matters in life than this right here. This is all that's important. I don't care about the house. I don't care about cars. I don't care about anything. Because when you're in your deathbed, you don't think about any of that stuff. I'll tell you what you think about. One more day with your wife and one more day with your kids. That's what you think about, you know? And um, and what would you do if you had that time back? Because three days in a row they told me, it was over. How, how did you fight through that? Right? Like, I think that, so, you know, I, I think that that response initially was like, hey, like, doctor, I don't want to ever want to see you again. And so, you know, it was, here's what made me th- get through it. Um, prior to that, the I had gone, before I ended up in the hospital, three days before, I, I was so sick that they carried me to my primary doctor. I couldn't even walk in. My children had to be on one side of my wife. They went and got me a wheelchair, wheeled me in. They had to hold me up to do a chest X-ray. And they go, he's got severe COVID pneumonia. They gave me antibiotics, a steroid, and an inhaler and sent me home. Three days later, I died in bed. My, my wife rolled over, found me no heartbeat, not breathing, anything. She called 911. 
And this is the part of the story where. Do you know how long you had been? No, I don't. In my no life. idea. She had. No. She had no. She idea. had no idea either. Were you cold at that point? I don't know. No all, idea. I can tell you. All I can tell you is that I I walked back from the bathroom, and um, I could I couldn't breathe. I just couldn't catch my breath, and I was I grabbed my inhaler trying to get air, and um, and then I started talking to myself like breathe, David, breathe, David, breathe, David, breathe. God, just give me, let me breathe, let me breathe. And my wife said that she, I pulled her close to me. I said, just don't leave my side. And she said that I slowly just kind of quit talking. She thought I'd fallen asleep. So she rolled over and went to sleep. But then she said she woke up to check on me and I was laying on my back, no heartbeat, no pulse, oh no air. God. So she jumped up and got the phones. She kept, and she jumped up, called 911, called my brother. And somewhere in between that period, I sat straight up in bed. I took a huge gasp of air. I sat straight up in bed, and I was and I was almost talking completely normal. And I look, and she goes, and she goes, "He's alive! He's alive!" She started screaming it, and I was like, well, I, "Yeah, I'm alive. Why, why don't I not be alive?" Yeah. She was like, "You were dead. You were effing dead." And I was like, "Do I look dead to you?" And I, I was like, "Who?" And then I was like, "She was like, you had no heartbeat." I thought she had lost her mind. Yeah, I said, "You're crazy." Yeah. And I said, who are you on the phone with? She had two phones in her hands. I said, who are you on the phone with? And she said, 911 and your brother. I was like, why are you on the phone with 911? <laughs> and then she goes, you don't understand. You were dead. I said, calm down. Calm yeah. down. I said, give me the phone. So I got on the phone with 911. And they said, sir, are you okay? I said, I'm fine. I don't know why she called you. Yeah. I said, if, if you want to pick anybody up, pick her up. She's lost her mind. <laughs> I said, I really, I had no idea, you know? And, um. I said, I don't need you to come here and pick me up. I mm. said, I'm not getting an ambulance if you show up. I'm fine. So they turned around. I got on the phone with my brother, and my brother's 10 years older than me, Ed Bradley. I think you know him. He mm. knows you. Um, and, my wife, and my wife called him because she knows there's nobody on this earth that I won't argue with. It's him. Mm. I'll argue to death with her, and I won't <laughs> say no to my brother. Okay. And so I got on the phone with my brother, and I was like, I'm Ed. I said, listen, I'm fine. Listen to me. I don't know. He goes, Sabrina swears you weren't breathing. Had a, I said, I don't know where she's getting this from. I said, do I, you're, do I sound like you're talking to a dead person? Mm. He goes, if you feel worse, you know, you go to the hospital. Don't chance it. And I said, okay, I'm fine. You know, so I said, if I feel like this in the morning, I was literally, prior to that, I, could bear, I couldn't even speak. Mm -hmm. This point, I was speaking almost normal. So after I hung up the phone with him, I said, calm down. She was bawling, crying. I said, I'm fine. I said, let's just go to sleep. And so I lay back down, and then about 20 minutes had passed, and man, I just sat up and started crying like a baby. And she turned the lights on, and and um, she was like, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I said, and I could get it out of my mouth. When I finally could talk, I said, I crossed over. You realized that after? Mm -hmm. After after the dust settled, and, I, and this is going to make me emotional, and this is what I'm preaching about and talking about on Sunday at church here. But I said, I crossed over. And she said, what do you mean you crossed over? And I said, so I, 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 remember, I remember walking down a dark hall, and I remember seeing a door. And I came to the door, and I remember, I remember what I was wearing. I remember, I remember it happened like five minutes ago. I remember being completely at calm, completely at peace, and I came to a door, and I opened the door, and the door shut, and I was in this big room, it was black and white, almost dark. There was a big window to my left, and there was a just a bright, bright 
light shining through the window. It mm-hmm. wasn't a light like this. It was mm-hmm. it was a golden light. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what is that? You know? And and then I could see the silhouette of somebody standing over on the other side of the light. And I was just trying to look around. Like I was looking around the room and trying to figure out where I was at and what that light was. And then I heard a female's voice say, David, do you remember me? And I said, no, ma'am. And she said, come into the light. She says, come step into the light. So I walked and I, and I remember stepping into the light and I looked out the window and I could see, and I'm not, if I'm lying, I'm dying, man. Like I could see streets of gold, buildings of gold. And I knew immediately, I said, that's heaven. Mm. I could see it. And I, and I was just so fixated on it. I heard her voice say, do you remember me now? And then I turned and looked up and it was my mom. Well, my mom died of cancer when I was nine years old. And she was wearing, she worked at the Claxton Bank and her uniforms wore white plows and a black skirt. Uh-huh. That's exactly what she had on. She looked like, she looked exactly like she did the last time I saw her. And I said, mom, is that you? She said, yes. And she said, she said, come here and give me a hug. And I hugged her and, and she said, I said, what are you doing here? And she said, I'm here to tell you to turn around and go home to be with your family. It's not your time yet. And I said, are you sure? And she said, I'm sure. She said, give me a hug. I love you. And she said, when it's your time to come home, I will personally come get you myself. She said, I want you to go back out the door you came into. And I haven't ever told anybody this, but I'm saying it this Sunday at Simmons Beach, but I didn't want to leave. Because... Sorry. It's okay. It was, um, I saw heaven. I saw my mom. I hadn't seen her in 25 years, over 25 years. I didn't want to leave, you know? Um, but she told me I, I had to. She said, my time's not up on earth. So I said, okay. And so I went back out the door. And, and as soon as that door clicked behind me, that's when I sat straight up in bed and took that breath of air. And, um, and so... Then I proceeded to the, you know, the next night I slept. The next morning I woke up feeling terrible again. So Sabrina took me to the hospital. 20 minutes after getting to the hospital is when my respiratory system completely shut down. She said, mm-hmm. if I'd have waited 20 more minutes, I'd have been dead. They wouldn't have been able to save me. But I was in the ER, and they revived me. And then I, and that's when I was back up on my story where I spent 10 days in ICU until they wheeled me out of there. But what I, But to your point, your original question was what made me fight is – like I'm, I'm, I was raised on a farm. I've been working since I was seven, you know, picking tobacco and racking tobacco and scouting cotton and work is just ingrained in me and my brother too and my sister, my whole family. And, um, and that, and I, I don't like to lose. And I, I, if I set my mind to something, there's, you can ask my wife, there's no stopping me. I'll, it's going to get done one way or the other. But there's a, there's this phrase I say, a lot and I always tell people if, you, if when you change the way you look at things the things around you tend to change and what I mean by that is like sometimes my wife will go the kids left the baseball gloves in the yard the kids left the bats in the driveway the kids left the scooters in the driveway and I said how about we look at it as a saying let's thank God that we're blessed we have two healthy kids that are able to go out and do that mm. you know they'll go pick them up yeah but look at it from a different perspective. There's a lot of kids. St. Jude's Children's Hospital used to be one of my clients for five years. I took a tour of that facility, and I met those kids, and I saw what they're going through. I saw doctors tell their parents their children just died. I saw parents talking to their talking to their kid in hazmat suits through, 
you know, glass windows who are going through cancer treatment, bone marrow transplants. I saw little bald girls with scars in their head from brain tumors that were playing and laughing. And what I noticed was like, they were all happy. Um, like even what they were going through. And so I started asking questions like, you know, what's the biggest hurdle for these kids when they leave? And they decide, they said that getting them caught back up in school. Cause when they go to the hospital, they don't, um, when they, if they're in there for a year or two, they got to start back in the same grade they missed and catch back up. But what St. Jude's did was they created a school at the hospital. So they keep, they keep kids caught up on their education. So when they get a hospital, they're right back where they're supposed to be. But after seeing all that, um, I drove six and a half hours home from Memphis and, um, my wife called me. I said, I, just, I don't want to talk, you know, um, I was just processing what I saw. And, um, when I got home, my wife goes, how was it? And I just hit the floor and started crying. I said, I will never complain about anything in my life again. Like we have it, we have it made. We have, we have nothing to complain about. And that's how I feel now. So back to your question again was when a doctor told me that, um, you know, Matt Wise, you know, Matt Wise, mm -hmm. Matt Wise and I were having lunch here in Statesboro not long ago. And I told him that quote, when you change the way you look at things, the things range and it changed. And he said, I said, I want you to think about that, what you said for a minute. And he said, now go back to that doctor who told you you were going to die. And he goes, it probably made you so mad that you were like, screw you. Yeah. I'm going to prove you wrong. Yep. Yeah. Cause that's how competitive I am. And that's, and I was like, you know what? I need to take my own advice. You're probably right. Mm -hmm. Cause I said, I'm not, not, I kept telling them, I'm not dying here. I'm walking out every single day. They would come to my room to check on me. I said, I'm getting out today. They're mm -hmm. like, you're not, even today, you're not quite ready. I couldn't even walk. I couldn't stand up. They had to help me to the bathroom for 10 days. I mean, but I kept telling them every time they come in the room, I go, what is this machine? Mm -hmm. And what do these numbers mean? And then where do they have to be? And how do I, what do I have to do to get them to those numbers to get out of here every single day? Yeah. They're probably ready to get rid of me too <laughs> at that point. But well, let me ask you a yeah. question. You know, you you see crossover to the other side. Yeah. And your mom, you see your mom mm -hmm. and she says, hey, it's not your time. Yeah. Why do you think that that was the case? Like what, what is there a mission now? Yeah. Is there a mission. Like, like what is it? What is your mission? So when I got home, I got home and at the hospital and I was on oxygen therapy. So I couldn't work. I wasn't really doing anything. So I had a lot of time to think. And I, and then, so I sank into depression because I had survivor's guilt. I was trying to figure out why God brought me back. Why did he spare me out of, mm -hmm. cause I was in room eight and I kept hearing room nine just opened, room 10 just opened. And I know they weren't living, they were dying. And I was just waiting for them to call out room eight. And so, I, and so for the longest time, for probably that, those few months, man, like I couldn't, I just couldn't fathom or figure out why God spared me. I had, there must be something I'm supposed to do. He, I could have been, I mean, I, I could have, you know, I could have died twice. I died twice. Why didn't he take me either time? And then November 1st after that, that was in August of 2021, November 1st, I had a heart attack. Mm. And went back in ICU for three more days. And I said, he's had me three times. Why does he? You know, so it was, um, so I was, I sank into depression, man, and I just couldn't figure it out. And then one night, um, my mother-in-law drove down from New Jersey to help take care of me, help my wife and my kids. And they were downstairs one night watching TV 
My kids were in bed. I was upstairs in bed, pitch black, dark, door was open, had my contacts out, couldn't see anything. And then, you know, that I had been to the doctor and they had put me on Prozac for depression and all this kind of stuff. And my wife would wake up and find me not, not even in the bed. I'd be downstairs in the chair, just staring at the wall, mm. you know, just crying, trying to figure out, you know, what, what was my life purpose? And so, um, so I was laying on my left side, laying on my left side, facing the wall. And I was praying like I've never prayed before. Like, God, just help me, like, give me a sign, you know, what, you know, just what am I supposed to do? And um, and about 10 minutes, man, I was laying curled up on my side. The bed moved. Somebody sat right next to me, right next to my stomach between my legs. I felt somebody sit the depression in the bed. And it was enough to startle me that I set up. I said, who's in here? And Sabrina and my mom heard me downstairs, and they were like, you okay? Do you need us to come up there? And, I was, and then I realized, I was like, don't come up here. Just stay down there. I'm fine. And I could still feel the depression in the bed. And I said, I don't know who's sitting here. I said, Jesus, I don't know if it's you. I don't know if it's one of your angels. I don't know if it's God yourself. I said, but why are you here? And I got your attention. Please listen and, and help me understand. So I talked to them. Like they were sitting right there. I was like, why is this? And why do this? And what do you want me to do? And I prayed and talked to them until I fell asleep. I woke up the next morning and um, I called my brother. I woke up with a whole different attitude. My wife went in the bathroom and I was staring at my bathroom counter. I had pill bottles everywhere, you know, mm -hmm. for my hearts and lungs and all this stuff and just Prozac and all this stuff they were giving me. I took a trash can and I just raked it in the all trash of it. can. All of it. And she goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm done. And I said, um, um, I called my brother and I was like, I know what I'm supposed to do. And he said, what's that? And I said, I've spent 18 years of my life helping people find jobs. I said, the next 18 years I'm going to spend to help people find Jesus Christ. So I said, you know, um, he is, he has spared my life twice, three times. And I said, so I'm going to live the rest of my life honoring him. You know, I owe it to him because without him, I wouldn't be here. Mm. And I wouldn't, you know, that's why it's weird. It's, it's weird. Like I'll wake up some mornings and I'll be staring at my wife and she'll open her eyes. And she goes, what are you looking at? And I'm like. I was told I was never going to see you again. You uh -huh. know what I'm saying? So it's the things we take for granted that I don't take for granted anymore. Yeah. And and that's why I'm doing now. That's the mission I do now. I do everything in God's purpose. And I do it by asking him or in his will, right? So, you know, I used to be on my path. And that's not the path you're supposed to be on. You're supposed to be on God's path. And I remember... I used to have all these crazy ideas when I was starting my, my business, you know, sure. and I would go tell my brother, my brother's an entrepreneur, entrepreneur himself. He owns a company. And, and, um, I was like, I would go to him. I was like, I, I need to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And he goes, he said, David, shut up. <laughs> and I said, what? And he goes, he said, do you believe in God's will for your life? And I said, yeah. He said, then get the hell out of his way. He said, stop trying to figure it out. He said, your life is already planned out. It's been planned out since the day you were born. Mm. I said, so give him control and let him put you where you're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And it clicked. So I did that, you know. But this was after the, the, your experience yeah. or, or were was, you like, were you, did you already give up that control it, it, at the after, beginning? No, it was, it was after that, you know, and because I, I always, like I say, when you're in a business and you're in, and like me, like I, I'm in control. I want to be in control. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't even like. 
I don't like somebody to drive the vehicle because I want to be, you know, I, I, you know, I get you. you know what like I'm entrepreneurship is a lot about that. Yeah. And I, and it's like, uh, you know, I feel like I need to be involved in everything, but you have to let go and you have to, you have to, you know, so I have practices that I do. Like I'll, I'll stray still, I'll stray sometimes. And then I did this last week. Um, you know, I'll get wrapped up and my wife's always like, you always tell these people you know you need to do this this and this but you never do it yourself <laughs> and i'm like i know it's just so hard to take your own advice sometimes <laughs> right so what i do is a practice that i do is like when i get caught up man some and i get wrapped up i'll slide away from my desk and i'll go outside and walk a minute and go okay let me figure this out take a step back and then i'll come back in and get a piece of paper and i'll write down everything that's on my mind everything mm -hmm. thinking, i need this 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 and this and then I take a marker, and if, it, I can't, if it's out of my control, I scratch it off the list. Mm -hmm. And once you get done with that, all you're left is with is what you can control. And I say, okay, God, everything I scratched through, that's yours. Mm -hmm. You handle that. It's on you. I'm going to take care of this. And that's how I do it. What, what, what was your faith like before the incident? And that was a good question, and that's what Matt Wise asked me one day. He goes, where was your relationship with God before this happened? So I was raised as a Christian. I was born in a you know, Southern Baptist church, and mm. I went to a private Christian school in Pinewood and Claxton. And I've always had that foundation, um, and the, and that that belief was there. And, you know, knowing right from wrong, you know, and then when I got older, you know, I had a rocky childhood. It wasn't the best childhood. And there's some stuff I don't want to get into about that. We can do that later. But there was just a, it was just, you know, when I went to college and over here at George Southern and stuff, man, I kind of broke loose and did a lot of stuff I probably shouldn't mm. do. But you know what? It, it And it's one of those things where you, I slipped, you know, and that's when, you know, then I got, you know, after I got through the, my, like I got all that crap out of my system in college, and then I met my wife in Statesboro, and then it all changed for me once she got pregnant. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, different ball game now, sure. right? You know, because I've got two sons now, and, and the way I look at it is I'm not raising two sons. I'm raising somebody's husband, somebody's father, mm -hmm. and we're raising warriors. And they need to be men, and they need to know how to take care of us. I mean, my kids are 11, 10 and 11 now, but they have been doing their own laundry since they were like six or seven. Mm -hmm. And they do dishes, and they clean the kitchen, and they do all that kind of stuff. Because I live by that motto, the more you do, the less they're going to do, right? Yeah. And, you know, and you, and, you, and you have to do this like, you know, with your kids, you don't – you show them once. If they don't know how to do it, you show them once, and then you – then they go from there. Yeah. Right? I'll help you if you need it. I'm going to show you how to do it. And then you can do it yourself without having to ask anymore. No, but my faith was um, my faith got stronger when I had kids because I knew that I started praying more, talking to God more, trying to get you know my life on track with professionally, and because I knew I had responsibilities, more responsibility now. It just wasn't about me anymore. Sure, you know I got a wife and I got a kid, and I got to, and so but I, but I was never, I was never, you know. I wasn't as close to him as I am now. And that's what I feel like is I got a, a wise man told me, Larry Guido, you know Larry Guido mm -hmm. from Meadow from Guido Gardens? Okay. He told me, he said, David, what you got was a, a gentle nudge from God mm -hmm. that put you back on the track mm -hmm. that you're supposed to be on. Mm -hmm. And I said, it wasn't a gentle nudge. He, <laughs> said, he knocked me straight off the damn tracks. You yeah. Know? 
And um, but but it did, you know, and it, and it and it changed my life forever. It was. People will come to me and say, "I'm so sorry," you know, that it happened. And I'm like, "Don't apologize." It was the it was literally the best thing that ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be sitting here if it happened. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be speaking at church on Sunday if it happened. I wouldn't have my wife wouldn't be saved right now. Mm-hmm. My 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 ten year old, eleven year old got saved because of it. Because of this, yeah. They what did they were they part of the church from before? Um, no, we were never really into the church much, but they would go and hear me speak. You know, they went through it like they went through with the COVID. Then they, they, you know, they were worried about me. And Mm -hmm. then when I had my heart attack, I literally fell out of my desk chair on their feet when they got off the school bus. Like I landed on their feet. Mm -hmm. And and then I had these dizzy spells last Fourth of July Mm -hmm. in front of them. Yeah. You know, and um but they've heard me speak at churches and, 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 and you know, and talk about it's, it's something everybody wants to talk about is death. Right. Nobody loves to talk about it, but it, it's something that needs to be talked about. Sure. Right. You know, because and they heard me talk about it. And my, my two sons are completely different um, in a lot of aspects, which is great because I don't want them to be the same. I tell them all the time, like, you don't want to be like everybody else. You don't want to fit in. Sure. You want to stand out. Yeah. Because you don't if you fit in, you don't get noticed, right? That's right. And um and so, you know, I had spoken at a church. Um my kids were there. A couple of weeks later, we went to the beach. My son was walking around the beach. He and my eleven year old, he's a He's a walker. He, he's a processor. Okay. He thinks about stuff. He's the one whose rooms all neat uh-huh. and nice and and he analyzes things. Like if you tell him something, he may not respond. He'll go off and he'll think about it, and, then and come he'll back come back with you with questions. So he was, and I, and, you know, and he was walking around, and and uh, my sister was like, "Was like, what's wrong with Esther?" And I said, "He's thinking about something." She was like, "Go ask him." I said, "No, he'll tell me when he's ready." You mm-hmm. know. So he pulled, a, he finally pulled a chair next to me, and he's like, "Dad, how do I make sure I go to heaven like you and Mom?" And so I grabbed his hand and we prayed right there on the beach and he got saved. Mm-hmm. And then funny story about my other one. Um, about two months later, I was sitting on my front porch reading a book and he came out and he sat down next to me. He didn't say anything. He was just kind of swinging his legs, you know, and I knew he had, I thought he was going to ask for money for a video game or something, you know? <laughs> and, um, and he goes, dad, I said, yeah, baby. His name is Silas. And, um, he goes, I want to be baptized. Mm. And I said, man, that's awesome. Uh-huh. I said, that's great news. You know, I said, well, this Sunday we'll go to church and you can talk to the preacher about it and they can tell you, you know, how it works. And he goes, I know how it works. I said, you do? And he goes, yeah. He said, they drowned you and then they bring you back to life and then you go to heaven. And I was like, well, you know. <laughs> not quite. Not quite. You know, it's figuratively like washing your sins away. And he goes, but then I started thinking about it. Like he'd been thinking about it and he was willing to, yeah. Give his actual life to be saved. He was willing to let them drown him. Powerful. To be, to go to heaven. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, so me and him prayed right there on the porch and he got saved. And then, you know, my wife is, my wife is class two bipolar with severe anxiety and depression. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we've been through a lot with that. And, um, you know, she's had episodes and she's she used to, she's on the right medicine now. She's doing a lot better, but she had moments where she was just really down. And, um, and one day, man, like I felt like I was just out of options. And the only thing I hadn't tried was praying with her and like 
praying to God at the same time. And the only thing I have for my mom is I have like seven of her Bibles. Wow. And all of them have been read. There's notes and marks in every single one on every single page. And I have her diamond ring, which my wife wears now as her wedding ring. And um, so I went and got my mom's Bible, and she was upstairs crying, and I put her hands on it, and I put my hands on hers, and, and we prayed right there together that just to help her, you know, find a cure, find the right medicine, whatever it is, um, to get her back where she needs to be so she could live a normal life, you know. She's been depressed and unhappy for years, and she doesn't deserve that. And so, uh, man, two days later, she gets a call from her doctor saying that the FDA has j just cleared and released a new medicine for class two bipolar, which is Capleta. Mm -hmm. She was the very first person to put on it. Uh -huh. And it changed her life Everything. two days later. Because I remember the day before we were walking, and this is after, you know, I had all my stuff, and we were walking and walking the dog, and she was like, she was crying. She's like, they're never going to fix me. And, you know, I'm never going to be cured and I'm never going to be happy. And I was like, I said, will you stop? Mm. She said, why? And I said, I said, every time you say that, I said, you, first off, you put limits on yourself. Mm -hmm. Secondly, you, most importantly, you put limits on God's ability to heal you. Mm. I said, God brought me back twice from the dead. I'm pretty sure he can fix your anxiety, mm -hmm. but you got to have faith in it and you got to keep praying for it, you know? And, and she does. And I told her, I said, that's how that's how prayers work you know god answers prayers in an infinite number of ways but the way i put it is the way the bible says you're supposed to pray and then believe it as you've already received it like you've gotten it mm -hmm. that's what it tells you to do. not that you're going to get it but that you've received it and um so i told her i was like here's what happens when you pray you pray for something from god he puts it answers it or whatever it is in a box and he ships it out to you what he doesn't give you is a delivery date. So if he, and the reason is that is because if he put a delivery date on it, there's no need for faith, mm. right? So you have to have faith that he's going to do what he says he'll do, and mm. he'll he'll be there for you, and he'll cure you, and he'll fix you, you know. And that's what happens. I so say you don't know when it's going to show up because, and that's what I tell people when I speak is like God's God doesn't if if God told us what He had plans for us, we wouldn't believe it. Mm. And, you know, we would think you're crazy. But if he did, it would eliminate all the need for faith, which God tells us we have to live by each day, right? Mm -hmm. As we repent of our sins and we have faith in him. Mm -hmm. So that's why we're not told everything. Such a powerful testimony. Yeah. I think that's such a amazing story. Um, you know, one of the questions I would have for you is there is uh, an area where, you know, uh, it's interesting to me, right? Because... Uh, entrepreneurship is one of these mm -hmm. uh, amazing uh, parts to be in, uh, like uh, industries to be in. Where do you think um, faith comes into that, into play there? Like, how do you, how do you kind of like, as someone that has gone through, um, you know, such a experience, yeah. challenging experience, um, where do you think the crossover between that and you know the business world and and work ethic the and, way, and all these things? The way I approach it is bad stuff's going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. you're, you're not going to succeed in everything in life. Mm -hmm. And you know, uh, it's my my son, my 11 year old. He's he's a perfectionist. Like he wants to get a hundred on everything. If he doesn't get a hundred on a test at school, he'll mm -hmm. go ask to retake the test. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like in business, you have to. It's not always going to go your way. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you want to have faith that it's going to, but I guess I look at it, and I don't know if this is going to answer your question or not, but like with me, like we own a, we're partners, you know, we own a company that helps people find places and jobs, and they go and interview. Sometimes they don't get the job, or sometimes they take another job. We don't always get to win, right? Sure. So you got two choices. You can dwell on it, or you can just move forward. Mm -hmm. Dwelling on it is not going to make it any better. It's sure. going to make the, the problem go away. You know, it's just, it is what it is. If somebody, if, I, how I operate is like, if a candidate calls me and says, sorry, David, I'm not taking this job. I just took another one. That's awesome. Where'd you land? Mm -hmm. You know, I just told the story this morning that um, when I talk to people about their jobs, they're like, well, I'm on the fence. I'm like, listen, I completely get it. This is a major step in life. You're, you're, you're making a career change. Mm -hmm. I said, I've got a family and I'm sure you do too. So you need to make the best decision for your family and yourself, not I'm not going to try to sell you on this. If you mm -hmm. feel like it's the right thing, you didn't take it. If not, walk away. Just True. tell me. But faith, I have faith that my faith is in, I don't put my faith in money. I don't put my faith in government. I don't put my faith in my family. My faith always is in God. I give everything to God, man. And I let him control every aspect of my life. Mm -hmm. And I trust him that I'll end up and things are going to work out the way they're supposed to be if, 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 if we don't close a deal if we don't get the msa in place or a contract in place so what mm -hmm. it just happens man and move on to the next one mm -hmm. you know there's more Dude, does god have a hand in everything that happens so like everything in terms i of do yes i mean like if you come to my office man i have i have all kinds of you know christian books and bibles in front of me behind me i have an old rugged cross hanging on the wall and I try to put him first in everything that I do, in every decision I make. Every time I pick up the phone, Lord, give me the wisdom, the strength, and the words. You know, just be with me on everything that I do. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't work out, it wasn't meant to be. And how, how has that changed your business? You want the truth? Yeah. It's improved. Wow. I mean, when, when I say, I will tell you with 100% sincerity and honesty, as soon as I gave it all to God and let him take control, everything got better. I, like, I started realizing that when I was young and coming up and working, I got fired from a place, several places. And I always thought that was in the world, man. Like, it was over for me. Mm. But it got better. And I was telling my wife this the other day, like, every year, we get it gets better and better and better mm -hmm. for us and you know we haven't gone backwards and 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 i contributed all to my faith in god mm -hmm. i mean like i say it's just it's one of those things where you when you realize you're not in control mm. there's nobody can you do yeah you do what god's will is and you try to serve and honor him and then he provides mm-hmm david i want to thank you so much for coming on to the show um thank you for sharing your, your story. I yeah, mean, man. I think that having such a great perspective, I mean, I, I love this show because it gives me the opportunity to speak with people that have gone through life experiences that I hope I will never have to do and share their stories and right. like experiences. I think that that's what this is all about. And so um, very inspiring, like well, the way that you carry yourself in business, the way that you carry, carry yourself even after, you know, the... Um, the life it's like i say man like god puts everybody in your path for a purpose mm. it's either you know to take away something or learn something you take away from something 
from everybody you meet. And they're put there for a reason. Like I say, if it wasn't, if I hadn't have, if I hadn't have gone through what I went through, I would not be sitting on this couch right now. I wouldn't be speaking at the churches I wouldn't be speaking to. My kids wouldn't be saved. My wife wouldn't be saved. That's what I'm saying. Like everything happens for a reason. Life doesn't happen to you. It happens for you. Yeah. Right. And don't take it for granted. And, and, and realize that, you know, we don't have anything to complain about, man. We woke up this morning and we're breathing. We're breathing air. You know, God lets you put your feet up. Every, every, every morning I wake up, my feet hit the floor. Thank you, brother. We're mm. going to give you one more day to see my wife and my kids. That's all that matters. Amen. Yep.